0: My name's Neil, I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We lead this church called the South West London Vineyard. It's going to be one of those mornings, I can tell, I can feel, I can, it's because the sun's out. Last week, for those of you who are here, we began a series looking at Paul's second letter to Timothy. And what we started looking at last week is how it is that we build a spiritual heritage. We started to look at how we think about how we pass on uh, the faith. We pass on our faith to other people. We started to think about how we build a spiritual legacy that lasts and when you look at Paul, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, what you've got here is you've got the Apostle Paul, and he's writing as an old, experienced, seasoned servant of the Lord who's followed Jesus through thick and thin for decades. You know, he's seen it all, he's been there, he's done that, he's got the T-shirt And he's writing to this younger chap, Timothy, and he's writing to him to encourage him basically to keep on keeping on, to keep on doing the stuff. And so it would be well worth our while, I think, for us to pay attention and pay close attention to what, in effect, are Paul's famous last words. I think it was Lady Astor who, when she woke briefly during her last illness and found her entire family around her bedside, said, Am I dying or is it my birthday? (laughs) Actor Humphrey Bogart's famous last words were, I knew I should never have switched from scotch to martini. Uh, Chekhov remarks, I'm dying and it's been such a long time since I drank champagne. There's a theme emerging here. Douglas Fairbanks, Sr., his uh, unfortunately mistaken last words were, I've never felt better. (laughs) And to his housekeeper, who urged him to tell her his last words so that she could write them down for posterity, Karl Marx is reputed to have said, Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. A bit harsh. I know. Now, without wishing to take uh, issue with Mr. Marx, These final words from Paul to Timothy, I I think they're very much words that we should be paying close attention to, particularly for those of us who are thinking about how it is that we keep on keeping on. How do we keep on keeping on in the Christian faith? How do we pass on this um, wonderful treasure, this gift of faith that we have, such that we build a spiritual uh, legacy, such that we um, leave a, a spiritual heritage behind? So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2. Timothy is really, really hard to find, so um, unless you have an iPhone, use the contents in your Bible. We'll turn to that in a minute. Um, And just as a reminder for those of you who weren't here yesterday, 2 Timothy is part of a group of three letters. There's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And uh, at least since the 1700s, they've been known as the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters. And that's because they were addressed to individuals who were commissioned to uh, pastor and care for churches. And what we've got here is Paul exhorting the younger Timothy to do the work of pastoring, to, to, to raise up other leaders, to teach healthy doctrine to combat doctrinal error that was creeping into the church to extend the kingdom of god to other people. And so what we're wanting to look at over these next few weeks is what is it that this experienced leader this experienced follower of Jesus Paul writes to the younger Timothy. What is it that he says about his circumstances? What is it what wisdom is there in there that tells him about his current circumstances and Uh, how it is that Timothy might keep on uh, keeping on. What counsel, what insight, what wisdom does this older, experienced Paul give to the younger Timothy? And and, and what is there in this book that might help us as a local church as we desperately long to see the kingdom of God extended to everyone in every way, as we seek the transformation of all of the places that God sends us um, one life at a time? I think the first thing that's clear, um, especially from reading, remember from last week, reading from the end of chapter one, the first thing that's really clear is that Paul has uh, suffered and he is suffering considerably, Uh, both physically, literally Paul's writing this letter and he's, he's literally in chains, he's under house arrest as he's writing this letter, and so just physically he's suffering, emotionally he's suffering. You remember from last week we looked at uh, the end of chapter 1, I think it's verse 15, where he's talking about all the people who've deserted him. He's been kind of a, he's been deserted, he's been abandoned, and so just emotionally he's going through some uh, real struggles, some real challenges, some real hardships, uh, and so he is uh, physically, and, and, and it's in the face of all of this challenge, it's with a backdrop, backdrop of all of this challenge and adversity and suffering... That Paul is writing to Timothy and yet in the midst of it all his 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 tone is about exhortation it's about encouragement it's about equipping it's about keep on keeping on stand firm in the faith keep on keeping on in the face of all of the difficulty in case in in the face of all of the suffering all of the adversity that seems to follow us around once we become followers of Jesus have you noticed that? You become a follower of Jesus, and somewhere, somewhere in your back of your mind, you thought, it's all going to get really simple from now on. I've given my life to Jesus. And then suddenly, like, all gets really, really hard, and you're like, oh, I didn't know I signed up for this. Because the life of the Christian is, is challenging. It's difficult. And, um, and what Paul does is, at the beginning of chapter 2, which we will come to, I promise, um, Paul, he gives three metaphors, three pictures um, which help him make his points as he's encouraging um, Timothy. And he's, he's really what he's doing is he's describing the authentic life of the follower of, of Jesus. And this morning what I want us to do is take a look at those um, three metaphors. Uh, the first is of the soldier, the second is of the athlete, and the third is of the farmer. So let's start off where we um, left, last, left, left off last week. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's start in verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Well, it all gets off to um, an awesomely encouraging start in verse 3 with join, join with me in suffering. As some translations have it, share in suffering with us. And you kind of read that and hurrah, I hear you exclaim, you know, where do I sign up? You know, and it's true, it's, it's, it's not a great sales pitch. Um, join with me in suffering. And, and Paul uses this join with me in suffering as a sort of springboard to launch himself into these three metaphors which describe the authentic life of the Christian. And he, he talks about these, these three uh, roles, these three jobs, these three vocations, these three callings, whatever. Um, but if you notice, they all, they all require like, like, they're all like hard work. They, they, they all They've all got elements of, of, of suffering and difficulty and challenge in them and and yet these are the these are the things that Paul is choosing to use to describe Christianity and the christian life and and if we're being really honest, most of us I think would um, have preferred if he'd come up with some other alternative for being a follower of Jesus. you know if we're honest, I think we would possibly Prefer it if the passage read something like this. Join with me um, at the spa. (laughs) Because following Jesus is just like spending the day at a health spa. You, You lie back on a comfy bed and someone massages your tired shoulders and your aching temples and covers you in therapeutic mud. And you go home feeling so much better. You know, following Jesus is like a day trip to the spa. I'd sign up for that. Or, you know, what about join me in extending the kingdom of God, which is just like um, spending a few weeks reclining on a comfy lounger as the Caribbean laps at your toes, (laughs) large mojito in hand as the sun warms you to the very core of your being as you top up your tan. Seriously, like, I am there. You know, following Jesus is just like spending a few weeks in the Bahamas. You get the point. And the truth is, a lot of us would prefer very different metaphors for the Christian life other than soldier, athlete, farmer. There's no Caribbean in there. All of those sound rather difficult. They all sound like there's rather a lot of struggle in there. There's rather a lot of hardship, rather a lot of hard graft. But Paul frequently, you look through the you know, Paul's letters, and you, you see him frequently using metaphors, these metaphors and metaphors like it, soldier, athlete, farmer, when he's talking about the Christian life. You see it all over the place. And it would seem that there's something about these vocations, these jobs, these professions, that capture the essence of what it is, that Paul wants to convey when he's describing the authentic life of um, the disciple. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, we should pay attention to what it is that this older, established, wiser servant of Christ has got to say to see if there's anything in here that we might actually say, ah, I hadn't realized that was the case. And Paul's first picture of what it's like to be an authentic follower of Jesus is that of the dedicated soldier. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. He says this, Join with me in suffering like the good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And the first thing that a dedicated soldier does is endures hardship, endures suffering. Have a look at verse 3. Join with me in suffering. And the picture that we have here is of uh, the follower of Christ being like the soldier being like a soldier who's enduring suffering, enduring hardship. We've all heard um, countless stories of soldiers enduring hardship. You've, you'll be familiar with stories that came back from World War I. Soldiers in the trenches and the conditions and the situations that they would have to face when they're fighting in the trenches. When they were in the trenches, it would take 40 days or something like that for, just for bread to get to the front line. And by the time the bread arrived, the bread was rock hard. It was so hard they used to have to use the butts of their rifles to try to break up the bread, or they would smash the bread against walls or anything that they could find that was hard enough to break the bread up into smaller bits, so that they, just so that they could eat it. Life in the trenches was incredibly difficult. Uh, it was cold. It was wet. The, the trenches were notoriously um, infested with lice and overrun with rats. It was not a day at the spa. It was not a couple of weeks on a beach in the Bahamas. And that's Paul. That's this older and experienced follower of Jesus. That's his metaphor for the authentic Christian life. That's what he's describing. Does our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, does it include being a soldier? Does it include this concept, this understanding of enduring hardship? Paul says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Second thing that he says about soldiers is that they, um, they avoid entanglements. They don't get entangled. Uh, no one serving as a soldier, verse 4, gets entangled in civilian affairs. So not only is his picture of Uh, the soldier as someone who endures hardship. It's also a picture and a portrait of somebody who has single-minded devotion, single-minded attention. Soldiers don't get entangled in civilian affairs because what happens when we get entangled? What happens when we get entangled? And the idea here that Paul's trying to convey, it's like um, of a plant whose, whose life is being choked off uh, by weeds. That's the, that's the idea of entangled. And it's, it's, it reminds us of Jesus' parable of the sower, where Jesus talks about the seed falling amongst thorns, and then the thorns spring up, and they try and choke the very life out of this, the seed and the plant as it's trying to become established. And, and Jesus is describing the thorns, and he's saying, The thorns are the deceitfulness of wealth and, and the worries of this life. So easy. It's so easy for us to get entangled in the normal stuff of life. We get so busy with our work or with our families or getting the house extension finished or or whatever it is. We just get occupied. And one minute we're following Jesus with everything that we have. Jesus is our magnificent obsession. Some of us, it's good for us to remember when we first encountered Jesus. We first fell in love with Jesus. We were just so enraptured with him. We were so grateful. We were so thankful. The forgiveness that was ours, the, the new life in Christ that we experienced, everything else just disappeared. Everything else just fell away. He was our magnificent obsession. We were just constantly captivated by him we'd we we would talk to anyone who would listen we would talk to people who wouldn't listen about jesus and about how wonderful he was we would pray for anything that moved whether they were sick or not you see and like um, we'd we'd find anyone and we'd grab them and we'd pray lay hands on them and say oh you're sick or it's okay i know someone who deals with that kind of stuff so let me lay hands on you and pray for you and they'd look at us as if we were mad we would like i don't care I've just met Jesus and he heals and so of course what else am I going to do but pray for you. We would um, spend ourselves on the poor and we would um, spend ourselves being a voice for those with no voice. We would reorganize our whole lives to fit around just the one objective, the one aim of finding out more about Jesus and, and, and how it is that we could possibly become more like him. When I first joined this church, I used to live in Southeast London, and um, I used to come over here. I used to come over on a Sunday morning. Um, I'd come uh, back for Sunday evening services. We used to have a thing uh, called on Tuesday nights called ETC, Equipping the Church, and I'd come over for that. I'd come over for house group. I'd come over from Southeast London like four or five times a week. We'd be at everything. I was at at everything. You know, there were classes on uh, expectant mums. I'd be there because there was a chance. There was a chance that I might find out something more about Jesus that I didn't already know. We'd go to these random things. We'd go to anything. We, Kate and I we served on, the mari- on some marriage course before we were married, just so that we could just catch a glimpse. Like here, we weren't allowed in, but we, we could like so we could we could listen at the door in case there was some nugget. And 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 then when we first joined this church, the way that we learned was so boring. It was so dull, like. We used to go to these events and they would give us the notes right? which whoever was teaching this, the class would read and you had the stuff in front of you, only the stuff that you had had blanks. Right? And so you'd sit there and you'd just listen as the guy who's reading the thing reads what is in front of you, and but you'd listen out for the word that was missing. When we did our marriage prep, it was like that. But we were naughty because we used to read ahead and we used to try and guess what the gaps were going to be. And, um, and we'd make up our own. So we made up our, our own marriage course. it has got nothing to do with what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we, we were just, we were like sponges. Just soak it all up. We just um, reorganised everything. Just so that we could be around these people. Just so that we could be somewhere where we could find out more about Jesus. Learn about how we prayed for the sick. Learn about how we grew in our relationship with Jesus. Learn about how we read the Bible. Learn about anything and everything. And then suddenly we wake up and the next minute we look at our lives and we go, I'm stuck at the office again. Or, you know, I've got to take Jimmy to his 20th tennis lesson this week. You know, or we're so busy trying to work out which tiles are going to go best in the kitchen. And somewhere along the life, we kind of got entangled. Not in the things of the kingdom, but in what Paul here calls civilian affairs. And so we spend our time talking not about Jesus, but about our jobs and about the best schools and color charts. Ah. Cause to live for. And so... What happens is we, we become busy. We become busy, we become exhausted, our lives get filled, and so we just don't have time. We don't have time to go to a small group this week. Or, do you know, I'm so, I'm so busy, I, I have, I, I'm entitled to a well-deserved line on Sunday morning. Or, I couldn't possibly help out at a job club. Or whatever it is, you know what I mean. And what's happening here is we, we lose sight of the Christian life as being that of the soldier who doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs what's the goal of the soldier it's um, not only to endure suffering uh, avoid entanglements third thing is to please the commanding officer look at this in verse 4 no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer jesus is our commanding officer our lives are to please him you see the point of the christian life isn't so that we get to call ourselves christians you know and go that's a relief like I'm going to heaven. Rah! Do you see? And then we just carry on living uh, life the way that we want to. We carry on living life the way that suits us. Uh, we, we carry on living life the way that everyone around us lives life. The point of the Christian life is that we live a life that's pleasing not to us, but to Him, but to Him who's given everything for us a life of surrender a life that's pleasing to him and, and one of the questions that's going to free us and keep us free from civilian entanglements from getting entangled in all this other stuff is how can i please you lord how can i please you lord because the the, the goal of the dedicated soldier is to please his commanding officer how how can i please you lord and if it's been a while since we've asked that question let's start asking ourselves the question how how can i live to please you lord you know i i don't know is is this is this, is this relationship that i'm in is this pleasing to you lord is this what you would have for me is this decision that i'm making is it pleasing uh, to you Lord? Uh, is this conversation I'm having? Is the, is the way that I'm having this conversation? Is, is what's going on in my mind? Is what I'm watching? Is what I'm reading? Is what I'm doing with my time? Is what I'm doing with my money? Whatever, whatever. Is, it, is, is this pleasing to you? Is this an act of worship? Because no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please this commanding officer. So the authentic Christian life is like that of the dedicated soldier. And then Paul goes on, and he describes being a follower of Christ as, um, and, and, and extending the faith, not only as being that of a soldier, he also likens it to like the life of an athlete. <laughs> when does the beach come? Have a look at verse 5. He says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now, in ancient Greece, you know this, they would have the Olympic Games and and it involved all kinds of different events, you know, running and jumping and discus throwing and boxing and wrestling, all kinds of different things. And athletes wouldn't get a gold medal, uh, as they do now, but they would be crowned with a victor's wreath. And in those days, it wasn't enough just to win the event. That was part of it. But there were all of these official regulations which imposed incredibly strict rules regarding the athletes' preparation and training and participation. And so um, they had to swear an oath before a statue of of Zeus. They had to commit to at least 10 months of uh, preparation and training before even a person would be allowed to participate in the actual games themselves. There were all these rules and regulations. And competing according to the rules was as important, if not almost more so, than competing in the event itself. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make here about us being authentic followers of Jesus. And there's an Old Testament illustration of Paul's point here, um, which is about playing by the rules. And it's it's the story of Jacob. It's the story of Jacob because Jacob, Jacob wanted to obtain his father's blessing. Do you Remember that story? He wanted to get his father's blessing. Um, but Jacob got it by cheating, manipulating, and lying. He just wanted to get the blessing. He didn't really care how he got it. He just wanted to get it. And sometimes, if we're honest, we can kind of understand where he's coming from. You know, it's not unheard of for us to think that as long as the final outcome is legitimate, then the means by which we get there is less important. It's the outcome that matters. It doesn't matter if we, I don't know, break a few rules here and there. You know, a little bit of manipulation of the truth now and then, you know, that never hurt anyone, did it? So, I don't know, we, um, we embellish our CVs. Or... We avoid paying taxes by using an offshore account. Just throwing it out there. Or we tell a little white lie to our spouse, or whatever it is. We, but basically, what we're saying is, you know, um, as, as long as I get what I want, it's, o- it's OK. It's okay for me to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend outside marriage because, you know, we need to get what we want. You know, it's okay for me to get out of my marriage because, you know, it's not really working. I've got other things to do with my life. So we break a few rules here and there, and, and we think as long as the outcome's okay, it's okay. Do you know what? It's not. It's absolutely not. And Jacob suffered his manipulation and his cheating he really did you know Jacob spent I don't know nearly 20 years being disciplined by God and eventually one evening in the desert Jacob has this encounter with God and he finally discovers he finally realizes the truth of the the matter which is that God had always wanted to bless Jacob God was never wanting to withhold blessing from Jacob. God had always wanted to bless Jacob. God had always intended that Jacob would be blessed. And so Jacob didn't have to manipulate and lie and cheat his way to getting that blessing. And if he'd only done, if he'd only lived his life the way that God had actually intended for him to have lived, Jacob wouldn't have wasted 20 years of his life. Are we at risk of wasting a decade or two or three of our lives trying to get what we want out of life no matter how we go about it? Are we going about certain things in our lives that, truth be told, we know are not God's best for us? But we kind of go after it anyway because we think we want it. And we've grown up in a culture and, a, and a, a society of entitlement and we think we're entitled to anything and everything. And it may not be God's best for us, it may not be God's plan for us, but we want it and so we're going to get it. And it doesn't really matter how we go about it. Little realizing, do you know what the, God's heart to each one of us is um, predisposed towards blessing us. And the blessing that he has for us is so much better than the thing that we're pursuing? Are we in danger of wasting literally years of our lives trying to get some kind of blessing that God would have been willing to have given us uh, anyway if only we'd just chosen to live our lives God's way? And if that's true, and I suspect that it is uh, for any of us, for some of us, the good news is it's never too late. However we've been living our lives, however we've been choosing to do life, it's never too late to choose to do life God's way. It's never too late to invite the Holy Spirit to show us areas and ways in which we are living like that and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to um, lead us into all righteousness and truth and ask and invite the Holy Spirit to come and give us the faith and the strength and the courage that we need to do it differently, to give us the ability to repent and turn away and turn towards God. It's never too late to do life God's way. The... Authentic Christian life is the life of the disciple, uh, disciplined athlete. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And then the third metaphor Paul uses is, is that of the diligent farmer, that of the hardworking farmer. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And again, farming is another one of these metaphors that the Bible refers to often when describing the Christian life. It was Bishop Handley Moore who wrote of the strenuous and prosaic toil of the farmer, which, unlike the soldier and and the athlete, is totally devoid of excitement, remote from all glamour of peril and of applause. Uh, A passing out parade of newly qualified Salvation Army officers, General Booth announced I sentence you to hard labor for the rest of your natural lives. And what Paul is saying here is that, um, yes, Christianity is hard. Yes, following Jesus, if we're doing it right, it's, it's like properly hard work. But, but, what he's saying here is like the diligent farmer who tends his crops and works hard to raise his crops, we too have the opportunity to reap a harvest. And so if we, if we work hard and sow obedience into our lives, we, we will reap holiness. If we work hard to follow God's plan for our lives, we will reap a harvest of peace. In our lives, if we diligently sow the seeds of evangelism and the good news of the gospel, we will reap a harvest of people whose lives are transformed and whose souls are redeemed. And I suppose one of the questions for us this morning is what kind of harvest are we reaping in our lives right now? What kind of harvest are we reaping in our lives right now? Because the challenge here in Paul's letter to Timothy is. I think, are we living for ourselves or are we living for Him? The question I think Paul's ultimately asking here is what gospel do we believe? What gospel do you believe? And it's a really, really good question. And it's a hard question, but it's a really good question. And I think it's really good for us to ask ourselves from time to time what gospel do we believe? Because it's not enough um, to just show up here on a Sunday. Um, it's not enough to come here and serve on kids. It's it's not enough to go to small group. All of those things are great. All of those things are incredibly important. I'm not knocking them. Um, but it's not the whole story. It's not the whole gospel. Now, um, this is probably true of lots of places, but we live in a part of the world where the the values of the surrounding culture in which we find ourselves are constantly lapping at our door, and frequently are coming in under the door and into the house. Values of um, academic success, financial security, career development, material wealth, social standing, and, 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 and a whole host of others beside. But none of those things, not one of those things that we are all very familiar with, not one of them is in the gospel of Christ Jesus or in the gospel that Paul preached. Not one of them. And if we live life according to those values, as opposed to the values of the gospel of Christ, we're in very, very real danger of becoming religious as opposed to being the faith-filled followers of Jesus that Paul is describing here. Uh, let's have a look at verses 8 and 10 we'll finish. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's saying if you're finding being a disciple hard going, if you're enduring opposition, if you're suffering, First of all, you're bang on target. Secondly, remember you're in very good company indeed. What he's doing here is saying, remember Jesus Christ. Just stop, take a moment, and consider him. We're trying to get a um, recalibration. We're trying to find out where true north is just look to him we're trying to understand what our gospel is look to him let's remember Jesus Christ who endured opposition remember Jesus Christ who suffered even unto the point of death remember Jesus Christ who overcame death and who was raised from the dead and is as a descendant of David was crowned the messianic king and is now against all the odds, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul says, this is my gospel. This is my gospel. That's the gospel. And if we're wanting to leave a legacy, if we're wanting to build a spiritual heritage, if we're wanting to see the kingdom of God extended to everyone in every way, it's that gospel we're to live. It's that gospel we are to share. We are to endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too, we endure everything for the sake of others that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Nod politely. (laughs) Why do you stand, Lord Minister?